We have been in the series, Disciplines of a Godly Life. So this morning, we're going to read from Deuteronomy. So if you have your Bible, open up. It's one of the first, it's the, the fourth book in the Old Testament, so you don't have far to turn. Deuteronomy 26, we're going to start in verse 6 and move to verse 11. Deuteronomy 26, verses 6 through 11. We're in this series and we're looking at what does it look like for you and me as followers of Christ to, to pick up our cross daily and actually follow him. Follow him in a way where we're not just going through the rigmarole of life, but it's something that's actually changing us and transforming us and causing us to create new habits because nothing changes unless what? Nothing changes, right? Nothing changes if nothing changes. And so what we want to do is look at Jesus' life and look at those in the Bible and people who have gone before us in texts that speak to what it looks like for God to transform our hearts. And so this morning, as we begin to look at Deuteronomy 26, what we're dealing with today is the discipline of generosity or the discipline of giving. What does it look like for you and I to have a generous heart and then out of that heart flow rivers of living water? What does it look like for you and me okay, to take the teachings of Scripture and how it talks about giving and generosity, apply it to our life so that it helps us become somebody that's a little bit more like Christ? When you look at the teachings of Jesus, over 70% of them are filled with teachings dealing with finances and money. Jesus was not afraid in any way to talk about money. God is not afraid in his scriptures to talk about money. Why? Because when you look at the way someone sets up their budget or the, you look at the way they, they spend their money, it, it's a tie that goes back to their heart. Where your heart is, where your money is, there your heart will be also. And so what we're going to do today is ask the question, when it comes to generosity, what does it reveal about our hearts? So Deuteronomy 26, verses 6 through 11. And the Egyptians, they treated us harshly, and they humiliated us, and laid on us hard labor. Then we cried to the Lord, the God of our fathers, and the Lord heard our voice and saw our affliction, our toil and our oppression. And the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, with great deeds of terror, with signs and wonders. He brought us into this place and gave us this land, a land flowing with milk and honey. And behold, now I bring the first of the fruit of the ground, which you, O Lord, have given me. And you shall set it down before the Lord your God and worship before the Lord your God. And you shall rejoice in all the good that the Lord your God has given to you and to your house and you and the Levite and the sojourner or the outsider who is among you. As we come to this text, what we need to realize is that this is a very important time in the people of God. They've been removed from the land of Egypt where they were held in oppression, as you saw from the text. They were humiliated, they were afflicted, right? And, and God heard them in their cries. He brings them out into the wilderness. He sets them free where now he's sort of like a mother bird that's, that's hovering over her young. He's caring for them, he's loving them, and he takes them from bondage and nothing, and he's taking them somewhere. He's taking them to the land of promise. He's taking them to the land of blessing. And if we know the story correctly, what we see is that those people that God set free, they come to the promised land, but they fail to enter. Why? Because they lacked faith. They didn't believe that God was actually strong enough to, to give them the things that he promised. 
They saw him working, and they saw generations before. They saw God working in those generations. They saw that, that him pouring out the plagues on Egypt so as to set them free. But now they come to the land, and, and they see the giants of the land, and they think God isn't powerful enough to give us the things that he said he's going to give us. God's not powerful enough to provide for me the things that I think that I need. And so God sends them into the wilderness for 40 years. So that generation that didn't have faith would die off and a new generation with the new faith and a new perspective on God would go in and have the faith to take the land and take the land that God had promised them. So now they're getting ready to re-enter the land. And what God is doing is he's giving them the covenant. He's laying out, these, these are the things that I require of you. And so this morning as we look at generosity, we're going to look at this thing called the first fruits. God is going to come to the people and he's going to say, when you enter the land and you go and you plant the seed in the ground and the rains come from heaven on the land that I have given to you, what I want you to do is go out to that land and I want you to harvest a portion of it. It doesn't tell us how much it is, but I want you to harvest a portion of it, and we're going to call this the first fruits. This is the best portion of the field. This is the thing that you get first. This is the part of the harvest that's the most exciting besides the end, right? This is the part that, that is literally the best that I've given you, and I want you to take that harvest. I want you to take that first fruit. I want you to bring it to my priest, and I want you to lay it before the temple of God, and I want you to give it to him out of the generosity of your heart. So God tells the people, I want you to take the very first, I want you to take the very best, and I want you to lay it down at my feet. The first point I want to give to you today is that generosity starts with the first fruits. Write that down. Generosity starts with the first fruits. Generosity, sounded like the Lord was doing something there. I don't know. The first fruits were the best. This reveals the very heart of God. What we're seeing in this passage isn't just somebody trying to get money from somebody else. It's not like Moses is trying to coax this offering out of the people and say, well, hey, we really need this to operate, and so we need you to give this money because if you don't, there's going to be a whole portion of people in service to the Lord that aren't going to eat. He's not coaxing anything out of these people. He's not trying to manipulate them to get money from them. What he's doing is he's revealing the heart of God, and he's showing how God is generous to his people. And because God is generous, we are to be generous as well. Think about what he says. If you go back to the first verse, what does he say? He says, the Egyptians, they were harsh, and they, were, they humiliated you. They tormented you, they oppressed you, they put you in chains, they put you in bondage. Remember, people, what you came from. Remember how in Egypt you had nothing. Remember you would wake up in the morning and instead of you choosing what you wanted to do, instead of you going out to your fields and harvesting your grain, you went to the Egyptians' field and you did their work. You went to their places and you made bricks for their building and they kept you in chains and, and, and they made you uh, obtain by curfew and, and they did all these things to you that oppressed you. Remember where you came from. Remember how you had nothing and that you cried out to God and God heard you. You cried out to God and he heard you in the midst of your pain. He heard you in the midst of your affliction. He heard you in the midst of your oppression and he delivered you. He brought you up out of Egypt and he's taking you from nothing and he's taking you to something. 
He's taking you from a land of oppression and he wants to move you to a place of blessing. He wants to take you from a land that was not your own and he actually wants to give you land so that you can prosper and you can give it down to your children and their children's children. This is the very heart of God. God is generous with these people. They're reminded that the psalmist will later write in Psalm 24, verse one, he's gonna say, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. What God is gonna do is he's gonna take them of a land of nothing and he's gonna give them the very best. He's gonna give them a land flowing with milk and honey. Now, I don't know exactly what those mean, but what they're meant to mean, if you're, if you're living back in that time, this is a land that's rich. This is a land that will provide for you. It's not just the practical needs, but it's gonna give an overabundance. It's gonna take care of you beyond your wildest dreams. That's what this land is meant to be. And so what God is giving these people is he's saying, you're gonna go into this land and this is my very best. I'm taking you from nothing and I'm gonna give you my very, very best so that you can flourish so that in your life you can find peace in the midst of chaos. So in the midst of your anxiety and the stresses that you're going through, you'll look at the land and you'll see a God who is generous towards you. So what God is gonna ask them to do, he's saying, look, Israelites, I'm gonna give you the very best that I have to offer. What I want you to do in return, since all of this is mine anyways, this whole earth, it belongs to me. I'm gonna give you this land and what I want you to do in return, it's sort of like communion. What I want you to do in return is I want you to give the first fruits back to me. I wanna see my heart, that heart of generosity that caused me to step in and do something in the midst of your oppression. I wanna see that heart reproduced in you. I want you to follow me. I want you to function in the same way that I function because when you do those type of things, you become, like Jesus says, a city that's set on a hill. A city that's set up that couldn't do it itself. It needs this supernatural power to step into it and cause it to become something that it can't be on its own. So he's telling the people, I'm gonna move you into the best. I'm giving you the land flowing with milk and honey. And so what I want you to do is I want you to reflect my heart back to me. I wanna know that you understand it. I wanna know that you get it. And so when you go and you harvest your fields, that thing that will provide for your family, that thing that will, that will cause you to be bruised, that will cut you and make you bleed, that thing that's gonna cause you headaches because your farm equipment's gonna fail over and over again, that thing that's gonna cause you to say words that you shouldn't be saying because your tractor's getting stuck in the mud for the 17th time, right? Those, that thing that's providing for you and your home and your family, I want the very first of it. That's one of the requirements that God gives to his people. So it goes to the principle of the first. Write that down. The principle of the first. We're looking at a text that's a part of the Mosaic Covenant. right? This is a covenant that God gave to his people for a different time in a different place. And so it's not always binding on us today. But what we see in it is there's a principle. A principle all through scripture. And it's called the principle of the first. The principle of the first is this. You bring the very best to God. We see this early on in the book of Genesis. We see this with Adam and Eve's sons, right? Cain and Abel. 
We see them come onto the scene, and what does God ask of them? He asks for an offering, and you see Cain, the older brother, what does he bring to the Lord? He brings an offering of the fruit of the ground. Literally, he, he, he's a farmer, and so he's bringing some of the offering from, from his farmland, and he's bringing it to the Lord, and that's how he describes it. It's an offering from the ground. And then it looks at the younger brother, uh, Abel, and what does Abel bring? He brings the firstborn of his herd, his firstborn lamb, the very first one that he'd ever seen born. He's going to take that lamb, and he's going to give it to God. Why? Because it's the very best. What does God do? He rejects the offering of Cain, and he accepts the offering of Abel. Why? Because of the principle of the first. What we see in this story is that Cain gives God just some offering. He just gives him a little bit extra. You know, maybe he had a good harvest and he's like, well, I, I got some extra and so I'm going to give that to the Lord. Or, or I got to make sure my harvest comes in first and I got to make sure it all does really good because if it's all doing really good, then I can give to God some of the, the, the produce of the land. Where Abel's heart is very different. Abel comes to the Lord and he says, God, you have blessed me with this herd. God, you have given this to me. I've heard the stories of my mother and my father and how they shared about life in the garden. And I long for that day and I long for when things can be redeemed. And so God, you have blessed me with this lamb. Here's the very first. Here's the very best that I have. You take this, God. God accepts Abel's offering and he rejects Cain. Why? Because Abel gave his first to God. Abel wasn't satisfied giving sheep number two or sheep number three or sheep number four. He wanted to give God the sheep that meant the very most to him. And God looks at his sacrifice and he receives it. Why? Because he saw in Abel the very heart of generosity that he himself had. When we, when we step out in generosity, when we understand this principle, it allows, it, it's almost like a door that opens in our life and God says, hey, there's something different about you. You're becoming more like me. When you become more like me, you do things more that I do. And so I'm going to bless you more, and you're going to be a blessing more to people around you. The principle of first, we see this even with Jesus. We see this with Jesus. What does he say in Matthew 6, Seek first the kingdom of God, and then everything else is gonna be added to you. Seek first the Lord. Put him in the first position of your heart, and when you do that, the blessings will flow out of his life and into yours because you're becoming more like him. Seek first the kingdom of God. What's the first commandment that God gives in, in the Ten Commandments? You shall have no other gods before me. You see, there's, there's something that God is doing with the principle of the first. He's saying, when I take position number one in your life, that's when doors start to open. When I'm the one who, who is your main focus, when I'm the one that you're looking at with your finances and saying, God, what can I do to bless your kingdom? When you start asking those kind of questions, it's like the doors of your life begin to open and all of a sudden those things that you were tied to over here begin to change. Because you're not asking what's best for me or what's best for my family. You're saying, God, what is best for your kingdom? I mean, I hate to say this, but Jesus doesn't say, seek first the kingdom of Micah and his children, and then all these things will be added to you. He doesn't say that. He says, seek first the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added to you. God wants to be first in your life.
There's one pastor, his name is Robert Morris, and he says, you know why God asks for the first fruits? Because those are the hardest ones to give. The reason God comes into the scriptures and into our world and he says, Micah, bring me the first fruits of your life is because that's the one that takes the most faith to give. You look at Abel, if, if you give your third sheep, right, what's already happened? You've already got two guaranteed sheep. So you, there's security in that. You, there's control in that. I know I have two other sheep, and so I can give God the third one. So I can afford to give God this fruit right here, and so I'm going to give it to him. That's exactly what Cain did, and God rejected it. Abel comes to God and says, Lord, I believe so much in your promises. I believe so much in your power. I don't care if there's a second or a third. I'm going to trust you no matter what. So you take number one. You take the one that means the most to me because I trust you, because I know that your ways are good, because I know that you care for me and that you care for my family. And so if I want to provide for them, Lord, I need to surrender them to you. I need to put you first. What we like to do is put God in his neat little place. We like to put God in his neat little place, especially when it comes to things like our finances, and especially when it comes to things like our budget. And we like to kind of categorize God and make sure that he's in the right place and that we, you know, if, if, you know, if, if I can pay this bill and I can do this thing and, and you know, I can make sure that uh, my kids' sports programs are paid for and I can make sure you know, that, that my Netflix is taken care of and, and, and you know, I, I got Hulu, but I have commercials with it, so I'm not spending too much, right? Um, I got all these bills taken care of, then, then God, I can give to you. I could take some of the fruit that, that you have provided to me, the grace that you have provided to me, and then I can give it back to your kingdom. We want to compartmentalize God and put him in the right spot so that way we get all the things that we think we need, that our kingdom requires, and when those things are taken care of, then we can give to God. You know what I love about the Bible? Is it doesn't discriminate against givers. It doesn't say the rich, you bring your first fruits, but the poor, we understand your situation, and so you just, you just keep working to get out of poverty. No, 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 no. These are blanket statements for everybody, the rich, the poor alike. Why? Because what God sees as more important in your life than just having Netflix or Hulu, than, than making sure, even more so than taking care of your bills, which you need to take care of your bills, right? Don't do that, Okay. But what's mo the most important is having this heart of generosity that looks out the, at the world and says, God, you were generous with me, therefore I could be generous with other people. God doesn't want to be in our little boxes. You can't put God in a category. God is over everything. God requires us to come to him. He requires us to need him. Imagine... If this is something that you struggle with, I mean, I struggle with it, right? Imagine if this is something that you're struggling with where, where you are closing the door and you're saying, God, I can't do this right now. I can't give right now. I see a need in my community and I, I just, I have the need. I can't do this right now. Imagine if you were to put your trust in God and say, okay, Lord, I'm gonna give my first fruits every time. I'm gonna bring it 
to you. I'm going to take it off the top. I'm not going to take it off the bottom. I'm going to take it off the top and I'm going to lay it at your feet. If you put that kind of faith and trust in God, imagine what might happen. Imagine what God might do in your life if you put that kind of trust in him. Imagine what God can do in your life if you give him total control and you say, Jesus, I trust you with everything that I have. I guarantee you, you'll never feel more vulnerable than you will in that moment. You'll never feel that as scared as you will in that moment, but there's a release and there's a freedom that comes when you say, God, here's where I'm at over here. I'm in the land where, where there's sin and there's oppression. There's strife in my family. There's, there, there's pain in my home, and I don't know what's going on, but I need to trust you. Help me to trust in you. I have nothing over here, but there's something over here. I want to move from the land of oppression to the land of blessing. What happens when you open your hands to God and you say, Lord, I'm going to give you the first fruits of my life, not just my money, but I'm going to give you my time. I'm going to give you my energy. I'm going to give you my effort. What happens when you give God the first fruits of your life and you say, I'm going to make you first? You know what his promise is to you? That you'll enter a land that's flowing with milk and honey. A land where, yes, there's going to be stress, there's going to be pain. You don't get out of the harvest season. You don't get out of the family situations, but it's a land flowing with milk and honey where you can find peace in the midst of your chaos. What God's promise to the Israelites really is, you know what it is? It's over here you were broken, you were scattered, you were a mess, it was dysfunctional, but over here, I promise to make you whole. I promise to bring you to a place where you're comfortable in trusting who God is. That's God's desire for the Israelites, that's God's desire for you and me. Here's the reality. Generosity should affect your budget. Write that down. Some of you might have a hard time writing it, but if that's the case, then that probably means you need to write it even more, right? Generosity should affect your budget. Are you giving God the first fruits of your labor? Are you giving God the first fruits of your time? See, our response can be very... Uh, I mean, we kind of have it set up for us today, right? When someone asks, can you give more? Can you give God the first fruits? What's our response? I'll tell you what mine is. Inflation's really high right now. Food costs have skyrocketed, right? I go to the gas pump and I want to cry every time I fill my truck up, right? Like, my, my, my taxes are going up a little bit. I watch the news, and it looks like things might be increasing even more. And so, so Micah, we're, we're in a state of in inflation, and so now you're asking me, right? You're asking me to give my first fruits uh, to the church or to the kingdom of God or to the mission that God has or has you in? You're asking me to do that now? Like, if we're being honest, is that not our response? Is that not something that we think about and that we deal about? I mean, I hear my wife when she comes home from Walmart and she tells me, Micah, food has literally doubled in price over the last year. I mean, I go to the gas station myself and I'm pained by what I see. We all feel the effects of what's going on right now. But one of the things God never does with the first fruits is he never qualifies them. He never says if this is a year of prosperity, then it's okay to bring your first fruits in. No, it's every single year, whether there's storms or whether there's drought, whether it's good, whether it's bad, bring the first fruits into my temple and lay them at my feet. 
Jesus does no qualifications. Look, generosity, generosity should mess up our budget a little bit. Is God the first thing in your finances? Is God the first thing in your time? Is God the first thing in how you think about the world? Is it his kingdom that you're pursuing and you're chasing? Luke 12, 34, it says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The second point this morning is your heart chases your treasure. Your heart chases your treasure. If God is the very best thing in your life, then giving your very best back to him, honestly, it's not an issue. If God is the thing that you trust more than yourself, that you trust more than anything else, which is a really hard position to get yourself to, but if he's the person you trust more than anybody else, then it should be easy to make God the number one in your finances. When you look at your budget, what's the number one spot? What's the first bill that you pay when you get that check? What's the first thing that you take care of after working your 40, 50, 60 hours a week? Is it your bills? Is it your entertainment? Is it your Wi-Fi? Is it your cell phone? What's the first bill that you pay? What I'm gonna suggest to you today, this is what it looks like. This is how generosity messes up your budget. The very first line item should be the kingdom of God. You should write that in your budget. Kingdom of God. God. And the very first thing you figure out is this month, what is it that I can give to the kingdom of God? Because as you're going to see in a little bit, as we break down the practicals of what generosity looks like, a lot of times that means giving it to your local church, right? Trust me, we need, like, please don't stop giving to your local church. New Life is one of the most generous churches that I've ever been a part of. So it involves giving to your, gener- your local church, but it also involves giving to those things that are beyond the local church. How many of you know new life is but a speck of sand in the mission in the kingdom of God? There are so many things happening in our world. There are so many projects that are underway that, that new life can't even begin to scratch the surface of taking care of. God has called us to a very specific location, and so the kingdom of God is so much bigger than new life. But if God isn't number one, then what giving will be a chore. One of the things that like, I love and hate to do with my daughters is tell them, like, hey, it's time to do your chores, right? The other day I was telling them, like, they were, they're out playing with, we got these little Playmobil toys, and they got this little hospital, and there's this ambulance. Uh, and, and so they're all excited to play with this, and so they're playing with in the living room. And, you know, if you ask my wife, this is what she'll say. You have the house perfectly clean, and then in about 30 seconds, uh, you let your kids go, and it's like everything's exploded, right? Well, that's what was going on, and, like, that drives me crazy. Uh, like, I can't take it, and so I'm like, all right, girls, in five minutes, we're going to pick everything up, right? We're going to pick everything up. And so they're like, oh, I have five minutes. That's fun, so they keep playing. Five minutes goes by. I come back. I mean, even after three minutes, I'm like, all right, hey, in two minutes, we're going to be picking up your toys, right? Like, I'm, I'm forewarning them so that I don't have to hopefully get, uh, you know, f- frustrated with them or anything like that. And then it comes time for them to actually do the chore that I've set before them. And here's what they do, right? My daughter, Junie, she's predictable. She just goes, ugh. She gives me the big U-G-H, the big ug, right? Because she doesn't want to pick up her toys, And she just keeps playing, and she throws her head back, right? And and she's like, but Dad, I'm in the midst of playing, and and so I can't listen to what you're telling me to do because if I do, you know, then then bad things are going to happen to my toys. And I'm like, Junie, I don't care. Like, I gave you five minutes, and so now it's time to pick up your toys. So take them to your room. 
And so I let them have their freedom. I want to see if they'll obey me. And, and so I'll go into their room and see if they're, they're putting things away. I'll go into the living room and I notice uh, immediately that about half of it's been cleaned up, but her toys that she were playing with are no longer there. She's moved them back to her room. And I'm like, oh, isn't that interesting? And so I go back to her room and I look in her room and there she is putting her toys away. Right, playing with her new set of toys and she's got someone in the ambulance and she's taking them to the hospital and, and so I go in there and I'm like, Junie, what are you doing? You're supposed to be doing your chore and, and, and she kind of freaks out a little bit and it turns into this huge catastrophe where if I step in and this person who, who needs this surgery really bad isn't gonna get it and how, would I, how can I as a father who loves children prevent this child from getting the surgery and, and so she starts to make me feel bad and, and I'm like, oh man, what's gonna happen if this kid doesn't get the surgery and then I wake up and and realize she just doesn't want to do her chores right she's dragging her feet she doesn't want to do it because I've asked her to do it and what I realized in those moments is this is exactly what we do with God this is what we do with our finances we read a text like Deuteronomy 26 and we say oh that's not for us the principle of the first that's no longer for us because because that was the old testament or that was the mosaic covenant Well, what I would suggest is that principle is alive and well today. And the reason we don't want to give to God our first fruits, the reason we don't want to put the kingdom of God at the top is because we see it as a chore, not as something that we rejoice in. I think about Deuteronomy 26, 11. Read what it says. You shall rejoice in all the good that the Lord your God has given to you and to your house. When was the last time you put an offering in the bucket? When was the last time you wrote a check for kingdom builders? When was the last time you wrote a check for some kingdom institution that you're sending money to? When was the last time you did it and you rejoiced and said, God, thank you. Thank you that you have given me the land. Thank you that you have given me the means and the grace to go out and provide not only for myself and my family, but for your kingdom. When was the last time you gave the first fruits and it was like a little mini worship service in your soul? This is what Moses is instructing the people to do. He's saying, bring your first fruits and then rejoice in the Lord because he will provide. Bring in the fruit of your labor. Bring in that portion of your check and celebrate and rejoice because God has given you the grace and the ability to earn it. Everything in the earth belongs to God. And what he's done with us is entrusted little pieces of it here and there to go work and to take the kingdom of God into those areas of our life that need him the most. And what he requires of us and asks of us is that when we go out there and we put our hands to labor, that we bring some of it back and give God the very best that we have. This is what God is doing in Deuteronomy 26. This is what God is doing in our lives. Giving is a reminder of exactly what God gave to you. So when you give, whether it's a tithe check, whether it's a a kingdom building check, you're giving as a reminder of what God has given to you. It's much like communion. You take communion, what do you remember? You remember what Jesus did for you, how he gave his life for you. And so when it's in just the same light, when, when you bring an offering to God, what you're saying is, God, you have given me these abilities. I'm giving back to you. You've given me this grace that I can walk in, and I owe all to you. So let's get in some practical points of the discipline of generosity. The first one is the budget. 
We talked about this a little bit. It's putting the kingdom of God as the number one line item. The kingdom of God is numero uno, in the words of Osmar, right? (laughs) That's number one. That's the top dog on the budget. Some of you, if you're a younger person, like if I was, when I was single, right, this would be for me. This is younger Micah stuff right here. Set up a budget. If you don't have a budget for your finances, number one, that's something that you have to get into order. You actually have to budget out and say, okay, where is my money going? God has given me this money. He's given me this job. He's given me these abilities. I need to be a good steward of that which he gave me. And so budgeting is one of those good stewardship principles you can apply to your life and you can do tomorrow. If you don't know how to do it, we can hook you up with Joe Siebert, right? He's really good at that. We can hook you up with other people in the church who who have gone through a budget and they know and they're disciplined in those things. But number one, it's getting a budget. And then it's saying, okay, God, what does it look like for me to give the first fruits of my labor. I don't care if you're making $200 a week. I don't care if you're making $2,000 a week. I don't care if you're making $20,000 a week. What does it look like for you to give the first fruits of your labor and create a budget where yes, you're taking care of all your bills, don't be schluffing on those things, but you're making the kingdom of God the priority. Take the kingdom of God. This is what my wife and I do, right? Here's, here's some, some real life examples. My wife and I, we take our tithes and offerings, we take that off first. And we do 10%. So 10% of everything I make, 10% of everything she makes, we take 10% and that right away, that goes to the local church, right? We've been doing that since college. Everything else, we figure it out. Then we start working in the bills. Then we start working in the other stuff. Then we start working in the kids' programs. Then we start working in, right, uh, the the gas. (laughs) Lord help us, right? Then we start working in the groceries. Everything else comes out of that 90%, but God gets that first 10% in our life. The second one is tithe. I just gave you my personal example of, of what, how my wife have, and I have operated. Uh, thank God he gave her to me because she's really good at that and I'm not so good at that. But tithe, this is something that's given to the local church. Tithe literally means 10%. Now at New Life, we don't have a hard line stance because the, the, the scriptures can be a little bit fuzzy on what it is we're to give to our local church. What it is we're to give to make sure the ministries that happen here stay afloat and keep moving. So there's no set amount for this. If you go to our membership class, we'll encourage 10%, but we're, what we don't do is go look at the records and make sure people are giving 10%, and if you're not, we're not gonna call you up and be like, hey man, you've been slacking. You're not giving your first fruits, right? We're not gonna do anything like that. But that's what we encourage people to give. It's not a hard line number. But there is some biblical warrant. When you look at Genesis 14, Abram is going to meet this guy named Melchizedek. He's a strange dude. He's mysterious. He has no beginning. He has no end. He's the prince of peace. He's, he's the king of this, this place called Salem, which ancient scholars will say is Jerusalem. And he meets Abram after he's gone, and he's conquered these armies to free uh, his nephew Lot, who was just a dummy, right? And Abram sets him free, and he brings all this this wealth back with him, and he meets Melchizedek. Melchizedek gives him communion, bread and wine, and Abram gives 10% of everything that he had. In that moment, he just lays it all down. That's his response to encountering someone who's considered a figure like Christ. He gives 10%. Jacob, the one who comes after Abram, 
In Genesis 28, Jacob is going to have an encounter with God where he's going to come face to face with the living God. The place that he wrestles with God, he calls Bethel because it, it just, it's burned in his memory. This is the place where God could have destroyed me, but he, instead he gave me life. And what Jacob pledges to do with God is from here on out, I'm going to give you 10% of everything that I own. Another text is Jesus in Luke 11, 42. He's talking to the Pharisees and he's actually ripping into them a little bit. And he says, you've tithed the, the, the cumin, you've tithed the stuff, but you have neglected justice and you've neglected mercy. You should be doing all of those things. You should be tithing. You should be doing justice and you should be showing mercy. So although we don't take a hard line with 10%, what I would encourage you to do is pray about that. Pray about it to the Lord and say, Lord, is this something that you want me to do? Is 10% the number or is there a different percentage? If you look back at the, 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 the Mosaic Covenant, you know how much they had to give? 23%. If you take everything and added it all up that God asked them to give, it would be 23%. But the third thing, the third practical principle that, that you guys have to ask yourself is giving or offering. This is something that goes beyond a tithe. This is something that goes beyond just taking care of, of a building and making sure the lights are on or, or that the, the pastors can wake up and, and feed their families, right? Or the staff can come in and have a job. What this is, is this is something over and above. What I love is that Osmar is here today. When we give, you, what you need to realize is that a large portion of Kingdom Builders, last year, the year before, every time we've done Kingdom Builders, it goes directly to Peru. We've built whole churches down there because you guys stepped up and you said, you know what, it's not enough that I just give in the tithes and offerings and make this building happen. We're gonna make sure that there are brothers and sisters that are, are way south of us have churches to worship in as well. And you stepped up and you said, this is something that we will do. That's what an offering looks like. It's something that's over above. It's something that you don't have to do. But because Christ is working in us, we say, Lord, you've been generous with so much, we're gonna keep being generous even outside of that. Do you have goals of generosity? We have goals for our businesses. We have goals even for our children, for our marriage. We have goals for everything. Do you have goals for your generosity? Here's the last point. This is where we're gonna close. Generosity comes from the open hands of grace. 2 Corinthians 8, 9 says this, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor so that you by his poverty might become rich. Here's what the apostle Paul says, his poverty is what makes you rich. And by rich, I don't mean that you go get the new pair of Gucci pants, right? Doesn't mean that you're driving around in a Rolls Royce or, or, or the next best car that comes out. What that, that's not what rich means. What rich means is that you get him it means you've understood that your eyes have been opened, that the gospel has saturated your heart to the point where you see the generosity of God as the main thing in your life, and so everything flows out of that. You realize that Christ is the one who stepped into our poverty. He stepped into our oppression. He stepped into our pain and into our brokenness. He stepped into our messes that we make with our families and the relationships of ours that are broken. Jesus didn't want to be away from those things. He ran to our poverty. He ran to our brokenness. He stretched out his hands and he opened them for you and me and he was crucified on the cross. Why? So that our sins could be paid for 
so that the riches of God might flow through the cross to people who are broken so that when we put our faith in him and we say, Jesus, I'm trusting you with my entire being. I'm trusting you with my life, with my family. I'm putting you in the first place. You're, you're the one that I want more than anything else. When we say that to him, we're dying to ourselves. We're going to the cross where generosity was poured out on you and me. We're going to the cross and we're saying, I want to participate in your generosity. Lord, you were generous to me. You have given me everything. You have made a way. Help me to walk in that way. And what you're doing is you're opening your hands right back to Jesus and you're saying, Jesus, you lead me. You take the first place in my life. Whether it's my finances, whether it's my time, whether it's my attention, Whatever it is, you get the first fruits because Jesus, you have given me everything. Do you know this Jesus this morning? Jesus wants more than your finances. He wants everything. Amen, church? Amen. All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for what you're doing. We thank you for your kingdom and that what you call us to do is so simple but it's so hard. It's to put your kingdom first, Lord, to put it first with our finances, to put it first with our life to put it first, even ahead of our family, even ahead of our spouse. It's, it's your kingdom first. And so this morning, challenge us, Lord. Challenge the foundations of our life, Lord. Let us not respond to you as though it's just some chore we gotta do, but Lord, let us be like the people of Israel. We get to rejoice to bring you the first fruits of our life. Lord, help us to give that control back to you. We pray these things in your name. And all God's people said, amen. Thanks so much for joining us today. We pray this message connected with you, and we hope it gave you another way to connect with Jesus and your New Life family. For more ways to get plugged in here at New Life, you can visit our website at www.newlifeaberdeen.org. Thanks again for listening, and have a great week.